Overcoming Fear Through Movement. This is the name of the latest creation, the latest project or workshop from our guests on this episode, Sean Wood. Sean has been a close friend for about six months or so. He is currently in the Access Potential Academy program. He's an incredible human, an incredible athlete, and also is doing some really cool stuff with his project work, with with the work that he's creating, these workshops that he's now running, which is super powerful and have, I believe, a really bigger implication and a really life-changing message behind them. So we're going to jump in. This was a 60-minute conversation we had. I was very fortunate to get this time with Sean. Hope you enjoy this one. And without further ado, here is the conversation with Sean Wood. This is John Marsh, and this is another episode of the Access Potential Podcast. So today we have Sean Wood here. So Sean is a close friend, incredible athlete, incredible human. Only really known you for six months, yeah. something like that. Feels yeah. like a lot longer. We're gonna. Uh, I'm gonna get Sean to introduce himself and give us a little bit of background. But we have got a great one coming up today. All things movement, parkour, fear. And a bunch of other cool stuff as well. So, Sean, maybe just give everyone a bit of a background. I think your following is about 50,000 times bigger than mine, so more <laughs> people are going to know about you than me. But in cases one or two who don't, let's um, just talk about maybe – let's start with this um, – What is like let's start with uh, your journey a little bit, where you got into – introduce us to parkour, what is it when you got into it, a little bit of your general background, and then we'll dive into some bits and pieces. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I'm Sean, Sean Wood. I'm, I've been doing parkour for about 15 years now. It's really funny because I used to always say 10 years and then I realized for like the last five years I'd been saying I'd been doing parkour for 10 years. So it's one of those things that it's actually, I'm 30 years old this year. I've been doing parkour for half my life. Um, so when I started here, I grew up I mean, we're in Newcastle at the moment. Um, and what, I, what is parkour? Yeah, Just so, real quick. Yeah, so parkour at the absolute essence is getting from A to B in an efficient way possible using your urban environment or the obstacles around you, I like to say. So on the crazy end, uh, you've probably seen those videos on YouTube where people are jumping between buildings. That's what everyone thinks parkour is. But in reality, it's, it's actually um, kind of like a military training style that helps you adapt to the environment around you, which is why it's really um, close, works really well with the whole movement practice, um, which we'll get into with TMC and Rod Cooper and how we're coming involved with that. But yeah, from the essence, parkour is a tool set that allows you to navigate through the world really efficiently. Okay, so, so I interrupt you. So you've been doing parkour... 15 years now. 15 years, yeah. yeah. Um, and when I started, I grew up a half an hour south of Newcastle uh, on the central coast, a little beautiful town called Summerland Point. Um, I don't think anyone would really have heard of it, but if you have, awesome. Um, and when I started here in Australia, there was really about a handful of people in the whole country that were doing parkour. 
Um, so it's been a really interesting journey, especially growing up. A lot of the people that were doing it at the time were living in the big cities. You know, it was like Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane is where the big communities were. But I was this kid from the coast that grew up like by the beach. So even my journey within parkour has been a bit different than the, the, the normal path was. And then so my whole journey has really been with the growth of the sport up until the current day where uh, some of the Google statistics are saying that like there's more people viewing parkour these days than there is skateboarding and inline skating combined so it's really been this growth from doing a sport that uh i was one of the first 50 people in the country doing to now being able to walk into major cities on a sunday afternoon and see people doing parkour which is really really cool to see yeah i saw the i saw a kid doing some um like some flips and stuff over a little wall at bar beach the other day yeah it's pretty cool yeah so you mentioned skateboarding, uh, and it's interesting because I remember we had a chat at the very beginning, or well, pretty soon when we met. And for me, that was that was like the thing from like eleven years old, pretty much, just skating and surfing. And uh, I definitely see some parallels, and I think we'll end up talking about some of the the fear and some of what what's going on I think and why it's so attractive and how it can transfer and stuff like that but did you do other sport as well or was this like a infatuation just with parkour were you doing team sports or like anything else was going on at the time yeah um so I was definitely an extremely active kid um I come from a, a family of five kids um so there's five five of us woods four boys one girl running around so I was the first of the five, um, which meant I got to do all the sports. <laughs> I did. I played soccer. Soccer was my first, my first love, or football, depending on uh, what you call it. Um, and I really, really enjoyed team sports. Uh, but I played everything: basketball, cricket. I was one of those typical super Australian kids, and pretty, pretty talented. Pretty easily, I picked up sport very easily. Um, but at a certain age probably about 12 or 13, um, I started to lose the love of team sports and kind of hit a bit of an early rut. I got more into actually uh, computer gaming. I found this game, Counter-Strike, and um, moved away from, from activity for quite a while. Um, I put on a little bit of weight, actually, um, as like a 12, 13-year-old kid was eating too many Mars bars. And, uh, yeah, moved away from, from sport for, for – it was only a couple of years – at the time, it felt like a long time, but it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't a huge amount of time. Um, and then I stumbled across an old video on the internet. Uh, this was before YouTube, actually. Um, it was back in the days of like this site called Daily Motion, I think it was, which was one of the first sort of web streaming services way, way back in the day. And I found, I saw the, I stumbled across this video of a guy named David Bell, who is the founder of sort of known as the founder of parkour and a guy, Cyril, Cyril Raffaelli, who was an old French stuntman. And I, I saw this stuff and I, I started doing some flips down at the beach with some friends. And the second I saw this parkour stuff, I immediately just had this intuitive feeling that I'd be really good at it. Um, but once again, there wasn't much around, but I managed to find some people in Sydney that were doing it, and I caught the train down to Sydney, met up with them, and pretty much haven't turned around since. So, yeah, super active, played my team sports, but parkour, I think what attracted me to parkour was um, 
what frustrated me about team sports was that if the if the team performed badly and I performed well, we would still lose. But with parkour, it was the first thing that I came from from an athletic discipline where the amount of energy that I put in, I put out, I, I got out of it. So it was like this, this like self-discipline thing that appealed for me really on. It was like, if I do the strength training, if I do the jump training, I get something out of it. I think that was the first sort of appeal with parkour. So just to kind of break it down a little bit more. So effectively by, if you haven't seen it before, by parkour, as we're kind of speaking Sean is the person who uh, sometimes when I explain to, I think I was talking to my mom about it and she's like, what is that? What does he do? And I said, look, you know, and I was just, I, I, we were standing at a house and I said, well, you see that roof that's here. Sean would run up, run onto like from the ground onto that. And then he would probably run across it and then maybe he'd jump to the other roof or whatever. And, Obviously, it's not all all extreme and not all at heights and, and these kinds of things. However, if you haven't seen it, it's kind of like as close as you'd sort of get to sort of Spider-Man. And my question when you brought up the video games and stuff, do you think that there was a parallel between this gamification, uh, you know, how you have mastery of levels, you have like unlocking certain things? And I, I know in skating, that's definitely... Something that's there, and I think that's what a lot of people latch onto in movement as well, is because you unlock a press handstand, you yeah. unlock something, and it's not about getting stronger or something mm-hmm. like that. It's you unlock elements, it opens up doors or, or ranges of motion, whatever. Do you think there's a game element that was attractive to the parkour when you when you first started out, or, or even still? For me, yes. Um, I've always been a like a competitive person. It was one of the reasons people used to get frustrated a little bit at me when I played games because I never wanted to play games. The only thing that appealed to me with gaming, and this was back when we were on dial-up internet, was the multiplayer versions of it. It was never single-player games. I've never been a single-player single, single player, um, video gamer. Um, so with parkour, at first for me, yes, it was definitely this ability to unlock tricks like you would in a game. But the community and the the tone of parkour at that time wasn't about that. It was actually this like self-discipline, almost like in the same vein as like martial arts. And people weren't encouraged. It was more of your overall practice. So there was a bit of resistance from the community. I, I was a bit of a uh, an opposing force coming into the community at first because I had this mentality of wanting to unlock tricks and do flips, and that's not where the, the parkour community was at. It's developed more into that over the years, and part of some of the stuff that the team that I started, which had a, a bit of an influence, a small influence on the community, we t- kind of took that direction. So, yeah, I think the gaming really did affect me, and in a weird, really, really roundabout way, has kind of influenced a little bit of the culture of parkour as well. Mm. Um, but I, I was just, I wanted to say one thing cause I only just recently had this realization and you were mentioning the sort of extreme versions of it, which is the jumping between buildings. But it was only the other day it like really daunted on me. Like it, it came onto me this sense of like, there was a period in my life, I'd say about six years ago where I'd never thought about it like this, but like my weekend activity <laughs> was, was trying to find unlocked security doors or fire exits in in skyscrapers in Bangkok City 
and we would literally find close enough buildings and jump between them. Like that was my weekend activity. And I had never really daunted on me until like literally a week ago, like how ridiculous that could be to some people. But for me, like how cool that is. <laughs> like, yeah, we used to leap between buildings. And, and because it's just something I've done for such a long time, I'd never really given it too much thought. But now I don't really train like that so much anymore. The risk doesn't really uh, out, like weigh up the reward for it. I'm sort mm. of past that. But yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting and pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so... When, uh, when I was uh, 12, and there were times before this, but this was one instance I can remember, we basically left school and, and went on sailed on a boat for a while. We did a few trips. The first one was to Fiji. And for me, the boat, like there was a few jobs. A lot of them were um, physical because of what you were just your environment. One of them was when we'd come into an anchorage, I would climb up the, like the mast has those spreaders, which yeah. kind of like part of the rigging. Yeah. The spreaders go horizontal and the mast has uh, ropes going up. So I would climb up the, the rig, the mast with the ropes that were on the front of it to the first spreader, sometimes the second spreader, and then hold on to the mast, hold on to the rigging, and then you'd look out in front to see if there were any coral bombs, yeah. like coral heads at the boat that you might not see. And then direct dad who was uh, who was steering, and there were all of these instances. I remember that one in particular because I remember the fear. I remember the fear. The fear was when you got to the first spreader, positioning your weight from being hanging below yeah. to being standing on top and reaching across, which is a bit of a gap to hold on to the other thing. I mean, it's extremely dangerous as well. Yeah, right. Like if you fell off, you, you I don't know what had happened. Yeah. You, you wouldn't be in a good place. Yeah. But, you know, my parents encouraged it because it, it was a contribution to what we were doing and, they, you know, you, you just – we'd been doing stuff all, your whole life, so it was okay. But anyway, there was this element where you turn to reach to hold and then you're stable again. And there was that and there's a few other instances. But um, my question really is like there was – this was happening on daily or every you know few days. There's instances where you're taking the physical body, and we, we did this in your workshop as well, but your physical body from point A to point B where there is risk. And what I kind of wanted to talk about is you were doing this continually. And it's the same people skateboarding or surfing maybe where there's some element of risk uh, that's not behind a screen, because you're actually embodying the risk, you're feeling it viscerally, and mm-hmm. your heart rate jumps. And mm-hmm. um, what kind? What do you just talk about that? Like now, what do you think is 15 years of doing that done? What's the shift for you that you feel? And then maybe we'll talk about the culture a little bit later in terms of what's what's not happening as well. Like, what do you think about that? Going through those little stages when you were younger. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, there's many, many aspects to that question, but for me, a big part of it is, is preparation. Um, as we've sort of already briefed on is, is that a lot of people only see parkour as what they see on YouTube being the, the high skyscraper type stuff. And it it gets views. So it's, it's no, no surprise that that's what people think it is, but there is a way 
like risk is, in my opinion, what we consider risk in society a lot of the time is, is very subjective because risk can be crossing the road is risky to somebody crossing a busy intersection is very, very risky for certain people. But because we do it every day, we become very good at crossing the road. So the the difference, I mean, it's like training. Like when we're kids, we have to hold our parents' hand walking across the road. And then as we get older, suddenly we get to a point where we know what we're doing and suddenly the risk is lowered and we're able to cross that road by ourselves. And for me, like parkour is exactly the same. These, These weren't, because of where I came into parkour, this type of information wasn't really around. But what I do remember very potently was that I had heard that David Bell, the founder of parkour, wouldn't let people even do jumps, but like low-level jumps. No, sorry, I'll correct that. He wouldn't let people jump above head height for the first two years of their training. So I always remember that, but I didn't really understand why. And it's because you shouldn't be taking those, ex- uh, those extra risks so early in your training. Unfortunately, now that it is become a lot more popular, some of these pure forms of the training are, are getting diluted, and now people are jumping into big jumps too, very early, but that's a different sort of conversation all alone. But the point is, is that like you can mitigate the risk of jumping between two skyscrapers if you've trained that at the ground level enough times. Um, there's this quote... Uh, this quote, I'll just bring it up very quickly because uh, it's very relevant um, by one of my close friends who's an amazing parkour athlete, Daniel Illebacher, and it says, if you're afraid to fall, you fall because you're afraid. Everything is a choice. And I think it's really relevant because it, what I'm kindly, kind of working on right now and why I'm so passionate about bringing parkour to the wider movement community is because from my experience and from my training, I've found that most of the times that anything ever goes wrong in parkour, it's because of the practitioner hesitating. And so one of the, 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 the emotional journey that comes along with parkour is the risk factor. That's what makes it dangerous. A lot of the time it's not what we think to be dangerous, being the physical, the, the actual risk of the jump. It's the people's perception of that jump and their ability to not be able to overcome that emotionally and then this, minute, this second of hesitation just before they make the jump and suddenly instead of putting 100% of power into that jump, suddenly they do it at half mm. and then they don't make the jump. So I truly believe, because obviously when you first start training parkour, it's a bit dangerous, but very quickly your intuition kicks in. I can look at it to, I can look at like a jump on the ground right now. And I know the second I look at that, whether that's within my capability or not. So you develop that intuition very quickly. So over time with training, it's not about the distance. It's about your relationship with that jump. And if you can learn to overcome that, then I really believe that parkour isn't any more risky than say a game of soccer, if treated the same way. Yeah. So, so what I'm hearing is it's not that you, put yourself for 15 years in one risky situation after another and got really used to that or got really good at that. It's like any, any physical practice for 15 years, you just basically cultivated 
body awareness. So in the intuition, body awareness, whatever you want to talk about. Yeah. With your own body, it's just that the vehicle for doing that change was through parkour. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So what does it feel like? Is that working? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What does it feel like to have confidence in... Uh, we're going to talk more about fear. But really quickly, what does it feel like to have confidence in your body, in your movement, in your environment, just walking around? like? Because a lot of people don't have that. Yeah. So this is very interesting. And not, not just old, elderly or really young people, yeah. a lot of just our peers. Yeah. So this is where I, this is a very interesting part of my own personal journey that I'm at. Um, and the main reason for that is that I've kind of been in a bubble for the last 15 years when it comes to parkour. Um, I surrounded myself around a group of other people that were just like myself. Um, and I was literally hanging out with like the two best athletes in the world. I think it's good. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, sweet. Yeah, so I was, um, I kind of, yeah, I was, so I was, I was stuck in a bit of a bubble when it came to, to my own skills. And it was kind of like, because I have been training for so long and it was kind of my whole subjective reality was based around parkour and, and hanging out with our athletes. I've only just really recently realized that like, the skills and the body awareness that I have isn't a normal thing. Um, so yeah, and two, two of my teammates, the people that I trained with the most were like number one and two in the world at parkour from a, a standpoint of, we've got a competition called the Red Bull Art of Motion and this guy, Jason Paul and Pasha Petkins at a certain point in time, they won something like five years in a row between them or six, six Red Bull Art emotions between them back to back. So I was actually coming from this standpoint of thinking that my skills weren't that good <laughs> because these guys were winning everything and I wasn't. And so in my head, I was like, oh, you know, I'm actually um, not the world champion or the runner up world champion. I'm pretty just normal at this this thing called parkour obviously i there was an awareness that you know i've got a above average body awareness within certain um skill sets and like I, I wasn't totally oblivious to it but it just wasn't something that i thought about so much and it wasn't until a year or two ago that i came back here to newcastle and i started training at the movement collective um where there's some incredible athletes there as well and some amazing movers in fact everyone there is incredible but it wasn't until I started doing certain things and the sort of response that I started getting from other people, I started to realize, okay, like I was comparing myself to the best and to 90% of the population, it's like I have a superpower what I can do with some of it, you know? So that sort of turned me, pushed me into a little bit of a different direction in valuing my own skills. And then realizing the positive benefits that parkour can have for everybody else. That's where it really started to click for me. I was like, well, I have these abilities and I, you know, put me, put myself under these extreme situations. Well, not so extreme, but like falling downstairs, for instance, like that is not something that I have to worry about. I fall downstairs, intuition kicks in straight away. 
I am not going to hurt myself falling downstairs. It's very unlikely anyway. Um, put my, you know, those situations when we go, it's really interesting when we go bouldering, for instance, you know, I'm an okay boulder. I'm not incredible by any stance, but what I do notice every time I go bouldering is the difference between me getting to the top of the wall and the difference between everyone else. When I get to the top of the wall, I can like flip off my hands back down to the mat. The other people that go, I go with, who a lot of the time are much stronger climbers than I am, have to find the same route down because they're too scared to jump from the top. Mm. So when I started seeing those types of things play out, I was like, there is definitely somewhere within this movement space that parkour can contribute. And that's kind of where I'm at with my journey of, of trying to really articulate that and find out where that is and then try and help make that happen. Let's talk a little bit about the, you know, that ability to say, say this concept of risk, real risk versus perceived risk in the mind. And um, then looking at things beyond the movement, right? So let's talk about, you know, maybe that's, because, you know, we talk a lot about, I talk a lot about, you know, Stephen Pressfield's work of the resistance, talking about projects, obviously talking about business and um, maybe just let's go into, let's go into, let's pivot using this idea of risk, what's real, what's not real. And when you go through it, what happens or fear rather than risk in a, in a broader sense of the word, like just riff on that a little bit in terms of your experience. Do you see parallels Has what you've gone through helped you? Uh, just whatever resonates. Yeah. So this is definitely one of my areas of passion at the moment is what I did also realize was that I'd become really good at overcoming the physical fear, but emotionally I was nowhere near at the level that I was at the physical. And that affected my physical as well. As I said, like I've thought about it quite often recently. It's like, I was never a good competitive parkour athlete. And that's because I I sort of pigeonholed myself a little bit with my movement, but also the second I was in, in on front of like in front of a big crowd, I crumbled. I'd never worked on that process, so I I do believe that using a lot of the techniques that you that are useful in parkour, you can also develop yourself emotionally in that same way. But it needs to be intentional. Like there needs to be real work that comes from that. Um, so that's kind of led me onto a bit of a journey. Stephen Pressfield was, was a big one for me, you know, um, and I actually reread Turning Pro, one of his books quite recently. And I realized he, he, in the first paragraph or the first couple of pages, he actually says, um, you remember, you remember the the place that you were when you, you turned pro, you remember the moment you remember everything about it. And for me, that was two years ago. I'd just come back from living abroad for quite a few years. I'd had this motorbike accident, which we can talk a little bit about later because I think this plays into it a lot. Um, and I was, I was feeling stuck. I had to kind of start over within my parkour career. I was a professional athlete, um, running a company with my friends that is a, a thriving parkour business that's doing really well still to this day. But I'd kind of taken my, my, power, my superpower was taken away from me. I had this motorbike accident and suddenly I wasn't able to do, to do these amazing things. And a few other sort of crazy events happened around the same time. And I was like, 
I was like a child again. I, I had none of these abilities. And all I was left with was I was back where I, I, back where I started. I was back in my hometown and all I had was myself. I was stuck with the eye. And so all this work that I hadn't done emotionally suddenly became very relevant. I was like, well, if I am, there was like kind of like a fork in the road. It was either let this become my, my narrative that this had been taken away from me and walk down the path of letting this adversity become everything about me or choose to sort of turn pro and I do remember exactly where I was when I, I was listening to the audiobook on Audible at the time, and I remember listening to that and deciding I was going to turn pro. And, and that sort of sent me onto this journey now where I would say it's been three years since my accident, and I'm, I'm now at 30 years old in the best form that I've ever been in, both physically and emotionally. So, yeah, and it was the emotional work this time around that got me to where I need to be here. Yeah, I had an interview with uh, my friend and a guy who's been a mentor for a long time, Cole, a couple of episodes ago. And we talked about this concept of like you do a workshop, you do the, you know, even like a parkour workshop, any any stimulus, an audio book, the one thing, and we can get this like perturbation that comes in and shifts like the perception or shit, brings a new idea and then we have this like bit where we come out of it and we like, like you know, I did that with the parkour workshop. You come out of it like I'm, an, I'm a parkour athlete. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it's like I see a different brick wall in a different location with the wind blowing. Oh, I'm not a parkour athlete. <laughs> so, and then we have this, this realization that, you know, he termed it the slow drip, this drip, drip, drip. But it's like we turn pro and we got this like, oh, So maybe talk about how, um, what do you see now in terms of, I don't know if you're pushing the the boundaries on, say, fear and the physical as much as you used to, or whether it's more business or work related with what you're up to now, but maybe talk about what you see um, personally with resistance or fear and how you go about it because I feel that how you approach it maybe it's exactly the same maybe it's different you know because of what you've you had a different exposure to life basically than most people Mm -hmm. maybe just talk a little bit about that you know currently yeah um yeah it's very interesting because I can't emphasize how much of a weakness the emotional side was for me compared to the physical. Like the contrast was complete polar opposites. I I felt like a very extreme, capable human being, but emotionally I was on the far end of of South there. Um, What does that just, what does that, what does that mean in plain English for people? Like, you know, I, I couldn't, I mean, I've never, I'm 30 years old. I've never had a thriving relationship with a woman. I'm 30 years old and I've, I've never had any sense of responsibility. I have never stayed in one place for longer than six months at a time, even when there was a career path there. Um, so there was these cycles. Is, is it the voice around those things as well that's hitting you? Is that what you mean? Is it yeah, like there negative dis- self-talk around ne- that? Or is it- 100% negative talk or yeah. self-talk, this, this discontentment, this lack of satisfaction, the ability to 
be okay with it, everything that was around me, always needing the new. Um, then what also comes with that is is moments of substance abuse. Like I, I was as weak as they come when it comes to the emotional side of things. Um, and, you know, there's no, it was no accident that I ended up in a severe motorbike accident in, in Bangkok because I, I was manifesting that into my life. That I, everything that happened to me, was a hundred percent. I can track back to the emotional state that I was in. And so to go back to your question about like where I'm at now, or or at least where I'm at in that journey to overcoming that is, is I've realized that like, and it, it might seem so evident to some people, but when I was in that situation, it didn't, it was like, it can't be 80% physical and it can't be 80, 20% emotional. It has to, there has to be a symbiosis of like the, the two you have to be, if you want to thrive, if you want to move forward that you have to get, I had to put just as much effort into the emotional side of my well being than the physical. So starting from scratch with that, that was, but I was having not maybe, how do I say this in the right way? Maybe not the best role models within that, that, that framework in my life, I didn't really know where to start. So that's why books like, you know, Do, Do the Work or Turning Pro, you know, these, these types of things coming to mind really shot me off into that direction. And, <clears throat> sorry. So moving forward, it's kind of, I'm at this point where even my value, my, my self-values and what I consider my value in the world has changed because during this path of the physical dominance that I had or the the dominance over my physical capabilities that I felt that I had, I I felt like I was very egocentric at that period of my life as well. So I definitely cared a lot about social media. I cared about what people thought about me and how I looked and and all these interactions. It was this this ego-driven state of being for me at that point. And I think that was part of my discontentment and needing that desire to always move and it, it all fed into each other. But now the journey that I'm kind of on now is, is, is this point of like, for instance, I, I had totally up until about 25, I'd never could see the value in teaching other people the skills that I had. In fact, there was a, probably a point in time where I actually looked down on, on parkour teachers I thought that they were just failed parkour athletes that couldn't make it as a pro athlete. And so they had to pick this, this second path of, of teaching. Um, that's how I felt at that time. Um, and now my perspective has shifted to that bit to being like the teaching is, is, is if you want to become a master at parkour, you have to teach mm. because the only way to become a master of that I did read this, I think it was in one of Robert Greene's books, I think it was Mastery, that if you want to reach that mastery in your discipline, then there's like one of three pillars that can make help, help that happen. And, and they're like, have a mentor above you that you're learning from at all times, be pr- actively practicing your craft and always be teaching some other people. And then you're covering every aspect of the learning process. So, yeah. And so... I had totally taken out that teaching side of it, 100%. And I was looking down at the people that did that. And, and so now I'm at this point where, I'm, I, especially with some of the work that I've been doing with you and, and you know, the conversations that we've had, I've realized that like, teaching is so, so important for me. 
And then also the kind of weird coincidence with that though is it's like it's almost the more that you give out into the world is the more you receive mm. you know so I was navigating through the world previously in this way that it was all about the physical and I was always it was always about me my posts on Instagram just the tone of my Instagram post can show the difference it was always I'm this I'm that I was always thinking about the people cared like I was Kim Kardashian like what I was having for dinner <laughs> you know it's like people don't care you know I, no one wants to see what I'm eating you know unless you are Kim Kardashian there is a point where people do care but I wasn't that person but for some reason I was navigating through the world trying to create content to show people what I was up to where just even the lens that I try and do that through these days it's like how is this my lens that I filter through these days is is this post going to help someone in any way? Mm. You know, am I contributing to the world? And maybe if someone was to stumble across this post, would it help them in any way? It doesn't have to be like, help doesn't have to be like how many reps to do and how many, help could be that person's having a bad day and you've inspired them. Yeah. 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 You know, it can come in many different forms. Yeah. But is this contributing like something good into the world or is this just an egocentric and what i've found is i'm getting towards where i originally wanted to go before through this this whole new way of looking thing Mm. at things yeah and it's important you know i think this obviously we could have a whole conversation on the social media and all of these things but i think to have that self-awareness to come back at it uh, not necessarily throw things away, throw things at things, throw rocks and stones, and you yeah. know, quit, rage quit, or whatever. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. But to come, <laughs> That's okay, a good game, game turn. <laughs> yeah, like to come back. Okay, I see how I've got a different posture in it, and um, and be flexible, mobile, be able to because it's not always easy, you know, especially when you start to create you know, more forms of contribution or doing, you know, I know you're doing podcasts and blog posts and stuff and all of a sudden there's infinite opportunity for yeah. for that, um, the narrative to kick back up as oh, well. Oh my God, every day. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about uh, the workshops that you're running because they're called Overcoming Fear Through Movement. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and we've been talking about your journey a little bit, diving into the mental, emotional, and the narrative side of things after the physical, you know, in your mind got really far ahead kind of thing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> what about the other way? What do you mean by overcoming fear through movement? And what is it about bringing the attention back into the physical, maybe for other people? And I know you still practice that too. Um, but what what is it that you're getting at there with with these events, with these workshops? Um, well, as I mentioned quite a little bit earlier about sort of coming back into the sort of movement, coming into the movement space with incredibly gifted people around me, but then realizing if there was. I don't want to say that I've got like an antidote to a problem within movement or anything, but what I quite often see lacking within the movement space is just this, this area around fear. I, I haven't seen through my practice yet, once again, not saying it's not out there, but through the, how I came into it, there's never that talk around fear within that, that sort of movement practice. Um, and so I kind of walked back in with this like, okay, well, this is something I've thought about quite deeply and quite often. 
Um, and then there's this thing that we don't really approach in, in the training within the movement collective and stuff like that very often. It was like maybe there's a, a bit of a, a gap to fill there. But that was sort of just a fleeting f- thought at one point. But then I started teaching at the Movement Collective and I was teaching just one day a week and three classes a day. And I started getting this really positive feedback. You know, I was getting people tell me that parkour, you know, I, I think we, we played it very smart at the start with the Movement Collective is because I, I didn't want to go in and call it a parkour class because I know the word parkour has has connotations attached to it and, and people are scared of it. It's the irony. Mm. People are scared of parkour because they think it's scary and it's a scary thing. And I, as we mentioned, it's not that – we're jumping low-level stuff most of the time. It doesn't have to be dangerous. Mm. So I, I suggested that we call it a strength and agility class and kind of if anyone asked, would say that we're using the tools of parkour to get there. And so the feedback I got off the class very quickly was, one, like I was getting people from 20 years old to like 55 coming to my classes – you know, and the parkour at the foundations is about rolling, it's about vaulting, it's about learning to jump properly and just use your body well, just like the movement practice. So the parallels are so strong. But it is, I think, what differs it from, from uh, movement is, one, there's this little bit of objection on, uh, on fear, and then it's basically movement, movement in and of, like, movement as the practice is in the everyday with the addition of obstacles, be them the actual physical thing in the real world. So it's a movement practice with, with the, uh, with the environment around you. So it's almost exactly the same. So I was getting this feedback. People were loving it. And so it was kind of, how do we take this to the next level? And it's like, it's very good. It's, we've already sort of validated it through the movement collective that people want to do this thing. So, yeah, what I'm currently working on and, and you're helping me to develop a lot is, is how do I take that to a bigger audience? You know, um, I do believe that, that parkour as a training method can be adapted and put into every type of situations, whether it could be the police force could pick it up, the fire brigade could pick it up. It could be in every movement and CrossFit gym, like CrossFit people, as if parkour wouldn't be an amazing tool set to have in your tool toolkit for a, a CrossFit mm. athlete. Like they go to the CrossFit games each year and it's literally like a version of parkour. The whole thing is to become adaptive to, to the situation. So when they, when you rock up at the CrossFit games, 2020, not knowing what the course is going to be mm. a parkour mindset, you've already prepared for every situation within that. Mm. So whether it just becomes another tool within the toolkit, I think there's a place for it within this, this movement world. Mm. And do you think that in these workshops, you know, we've been talking about, you just said the words parkour mindset. <clears throat> and when I think of the word fear and, you know, there's so much language around now around fixed mindset, growth mindset, mm. the resistance, fear, and really what it, effectively boils down to to me quite often is this concept of love and this concept of fear and realistically um you know this has been talked about by a lot of the mystics it's like it's been there forever Hmm. and when we're when we're afraid whether it's a perceived or real risk or just our narrative we can freeze up Hmm. and we might freeze up in our business we might freeze up in our relationship 
uh, we're fixed, frozen, fixed, fixed mindset, right? And then when we when we move through it, when you know you mentioned that parkour mindset, to me, that's what's kind of coming up as like this moving through the obstacles, looking at what's beyond the obstacle, yeah. looking at the possibility. Yeah. First question: Do you t- when you talk about this is is this something that you think about in the Overcoming Fear workshops, like yeah. the obstacle of life, the, yeah. this, this um, posture of possibility? And two, you know, now that you're diving deeper into this stuff, we'll start with that. Is that, yeah. is that part of it? Well, yeah. So, I mean, with the parkour mindset and, and, and talking about that, there's, there's one sentence that can summarize parkour because it wasn't actually – it was a training. It was it was developed as a training method, and there's one sentence that can sort of sum it up. And it's it's pretty funny because once again, I had it all wrong for ten years of my training within parkour, with it just being this physical practice. But the sentence it, it's a translation from French. I don't know the the French, but it's to be strong, to be useful, and that really encapsulates what parkour is to be about. And useful is ambiguous as hell. I mean, what, what does it mean to be useful? It's just preparation, right? So, um, that's why the parkour mindset, as I said, it is, is adaptable to anything useful could be winning the CrossFit games, but being strong to be able to do that, being prepared to win the CrossFit games. In the early days of parkour, it was really about the situation that was, there was two scenarios. It's if you're being chased by a lion, you know, what would you do? How would you move? Then the other one is like, because I couldn't get it when I first started. It was like, what are we training for? We always talked about being prepared and be ready. But it's like that, that it actually happened in Paris a couple of months ago. There was this African guy that lives in Paris. And he was, I think he was an immigrant, but he had this, for, for some reason, he had this set of skills. And there was literally the scenario that we used to talk about. There was a baby hanging off the side of a building. And we were, they were on the street. And there was a bunch of these people that were looking up at this baby and this one guy, for whatever reason, whatever his background was, managed to scale up the side of the building. You can look for the news report. And he literally saved this baby from, from hanging off the side of a building. That is parkour. That is what you're... Str- it might never happen. You might go through your whole life not needing that scenario. But that is kind of the essence of parkour. So really, isn't that what, what it, that's the human experience? You want to be prepared for that. Mm. Who doesn't want to have a set of skills that you could help that baby off the, the side of the building? So yeah, for me, that's, that's kind of the parkour mindset. And yeah. So when you have the parkour mindset now, like it, when, you, when, you, when it clicks, you got to save the baby, to be useful, um, to be useful to, to, you know, firstly to me means like to be, to be workable, to be able to like integrate in and adapt Mm -hmm. at a minimum, because if it's not workable in, in the, in the base case, it can't really add utility or usefulness. And then also like to contribute, be over and above and beyond, workability or just plain utility to make things better mm-hmm. right like to be um to to add value the to add, and, yeah and yeah. to add like contribution you know i always talk about when i'm in gyms i i, or I talk to people around gyms i'm always like 
you can you can walk past the the weights that have fallen over and you can mm-hmm. pick them up and at the same time you can be a trainer or a coach or a member or something this could be a, a anywhere not just a gym a store whatever and somebody walks in and you can you can transform that space in that sense you mm-hmm. can say hello you can be the first person to go and introduce yourself you can be useful in uh, mental emotional sense and a welcoming sense and change that person's day as well uh for you now at this point in your life having gone the physical for so long and looking now at the workshops you're doing and overcoming different kinds of fears is there anything else that pops up in terms of um in terms of this translating your skill set across translating the the usefulness translating what you've learned for so long in physical domain, taking these little snippets from you know people like Pressfield and things that you pick up, is there anything else that you're really excited about going forward, bringing this parkour mindset into your broader life or, or with others? Yeah, so I think the biggest surprise for me in this whole journey up until now was actually if you look at the attendees for the workshop that I did do, the the first workshop that I did at TMC and what was totally unexpected and if you would have asked me to split down the the middle what the the gender makeup would have been at at my work first workshop um I would have said like 80 20 male to female 18 to 35 year old right and to my surprise the workshop I capped it off at 15 for the first workshop. I had a sold-out workshop, and I would say 11 of those people were kind of early to middle-aged women. So that blew me away, you know, um, and I think it's this – this I've, I've stumbled across something here with this fear where I think the world – and from the conversations that I've had with some of the, the, the women that came to my workshop is that, like, these things that I've talked about that I've had the opportunity to do throughout my life, this, this, this opportunity to be strong and to be physical, like women from a very young age are, are told not to do that. They're literally told from my conversations and what I'm learning at a very young age is like if, if, you, if, you desire, if, if you're wanting to become those things, that that's not for you. So there, when it, we talk about fear, I mean, this is, I only know it from my subjective reality and the, the lens that I've looked and, and lived through, but I don't have any context of what it means to be a woman growing up in, a, in, the, 20, you know, in the 21st century and, and the types of everyday things that they have to put, on, put up with, whether it be in a club and being touched by, other, by men or whether it be on the street and you know, there was some horrible things that happened in Melbourne last year where a young woman got killed and and just on the street in Melbourne. Like, I couldn't mm. believe it, you know, in Australia. Mm. So it's kind of like if if what I have been through and what I can help can can help empower some women, I mean, that's amazing, mm. you know, and if that's what my journey's come to and that's what my purpose is from moving forward, that's a great outcome out of this. And I do passionately believe that parkour is for everyone, you know. It's only an article I posted yesterday about parkour being used for elderly people to mitigate their falls as, you know, there's some crazy statistic that 
in over 50% of people at over a certain age, when they fall, it's the cause of death, right? So like once someone's at like 70, if you fall at that age, your body's not able to heal from that. So it's not that like falls are killing all the old people, but when someone falls at a certain age, it's devastating. So like parkour can become a way of mitigating that. Parkour can become a, a way to help women. Like martial arts would be great for it, but also, you know, having that ability to run Mm. like women need to be able to sometimes. Mm. So there's all these things. And I think that's where the path will really go for me is, is finding those ways of, of contributing and, and then using my skills to translate through and hopefully help some other people as well. Yeah. And what would you say? Like, you know, uh, one of the conversations I had with the guy today, Victoria's about to ban, uh, in 2020 mobile phones for all schools yeah in high school mm-hmm. from the time school starts to the time it closes and when we grew up they didn't have them anyway but now there's a lot of tension around this because there's such a um culture where we've shifted to you know we we're talking about earlier so much screen time and you know fortunately we've had this practice where even though screen time might creep up on days, you're still going to go get, you're still going to go move, right? Mm. You're still going to do something. It's mm. part of whether it's your energy generation or your movement or your skills or whatever you're working on. When you, when you bring, when you see people who are new start out and start getting into, and you know, we might be talking about parkour here. Or we might just be talking about getting into the physical body. Mm-hmm. seeing these little bits of fear that do come up for all of us, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it doesn't never goes away. It just changes shape and changes situation. But, um, you know, before we kind of wrap up any, anything you can talk about to people who have held back, who haven't, you know, maybe they've gone to a, a gym a few times or done something like that, but they really, this idea of really getting into the body and really looking at, um, overcoming obstacles and and experiencing this anything else that comes to mind in terms of the benefits you know whether it's kids or or adults uh that you want to talk about yeah um i know that through my own experience any time that on on in retrospect looking back at my life any time that I went through a period of let's let's call it depression, anxiety, um, discontentment, like anything that was really rocked my world, if I can look at the parallel to what was also lacking in my life at that time, it was usually movement. I'm not saying it's the only thing that makes us happy or or you know, but there, there's definitely correlation there. Mm. And so I, I do, it, it does make me have deep empathy and sometimes even sadness towards the lack of knowledge that some people have about this. Like I've come, one of the crazy things about parkour that I, I love to share this story at the moment, because it's just, I've always, I, I've always tried to follow my intuition. I haven't always done it well. In fact, a lot of the time, a lot of the things that have happened bad to me was because I didn't follow my intuition. But I knew when I started parkour and why I stuck with it, it I knew that what I was doing was right. Mm. 
I knew deep down inside something that primal calling inside of me knew that this is what I wanted. That's what the human somewhere along our evolution. That's what it meant to be. That was the human experience. Sure, we've put us, we've urbanized ourselves and put ourselves into concrete cities, but I still had these primal desires to move in this way. But I was also told by people around me at that age that like what I was doing was wrong. This comment that we used to always get, I used to always get, was that you're going to be in a you you're going to be in a wheelchair, you're going to be in a wheelchair for the rest of your life within the next five years or something along those lines, mm-hmm. right? In ten, you know, and it's like I've been people have been telling me that for ten years, fifteen years. I'm still physically capable. I, I feel great. Mm. So where does that come from that people see me doing what I feel is the most natural thing that you can do and then look at that and then say that's actually wrong? And I feel like that's why there's people, you know, there is the lack of education. So to sum that up, whenever I felt not great, I wasn't moving enough. Uh, And I was being told when I was moving a lot that it was the wrong thing to do. So it's like a perfect storm to set up an environment where now type 2 diabetes is is fastly growing one of the worst sort of diseases we can have. Depression is top to be the biggest killer of people within a generation. All these diseases of stagnation, like being stagnant, are like what's killing us. Mm. So it's kind of like we, if, if ever, whether it be parkour or it be movement or it be gymnastics or it be ballet dancing. I've got a friend, she's just started ballet dancing at 25 years old. I don't care what it is. Mm. Like, just get Go out there. Walk. Go for a walk. <laughs> do do yeah. something. Yeah. Because you're going to be happier. You're going you're gonna to feel better. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the program that we're running, Access Potential, potential is a funny word because actually it's never realized yeah yeah <laughs> it's always potential it's potentiality yeah. yeah so it's this idea this concept we dance with and play with and this kind of gap between where we're working and living and what we're doing and then what is possible what the change we could make and the gap has got this obviously resistance and you know this ebb and flow of motivation and fear and but when you think about the future and possibility and potential and the things that you're working on. Um, where's this going? Like, are we going to see parkour workshops nationwide? Like what's put it out there? Like what's some of the, the cool stuff that is happening or where do you want to take this? Yeah. Um, first, first milestone that I'd like to, you know, this, the first big achievement would definitely be yeah a, a national wide tour of the workshops. Um, I do believe that the workshop fits very well for any types of movement or CrossFit spaces. So uh, I'm current, currently in, in a, a a period of of outreach, trying to you know reach out to different gyms, communicate my workshop. I had some amazing videos filmed by uh, Cody Adams, an amazing filmmaker here in Newcastle that I've been putting through and I've been getting some little, you know, I'm fishing at the moment. I'm getting the nibbles, you know, people are reaching out to me and I, I've got a few, a few big fish that I'm reeling in at the moment. And, and so I'd love to take it nationwide. Um, beyond that, I, I've started recently uploading a bunch of tutorials. Once again, like 
my, you look at my YouTube channel, it used to just be videos about me doing parkour and tutorial content was not something that I was never interested in. And, and now I'm really enjoying that process. So now like tour here in Australia, put my work back out there to the, the, the masses contribute in that way. And yeah, try and give my flavor, talk about fear a bit more, um, and, and contribute back to the, and, and bring that to a bigger audience through, through tutorials. I would love to write a book one day. That's definitely top on the list about the sort yeah. of, uh, the journey that I've been through. There's some crazy stories. We could talk, have do another whole podcast about the journey that I've been through. Um, and, and so, uh, yeah, a book, I'd love to write a book. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm very happy here in Newcastle at the moment. It's such a beautiful place. But really bring, bring my method, the stuff that I'm thinking to a bigger audience and tour around Australia are the big things that I'm working on right now. Cool. Cool. Take Australia, get us all to overcome fear through movement. That's it. Love it. Uh, anything else you want to, I mean, everyone know where to find you, but maybe they probably already follow you. <laughs> <laughs> maybe um, just fill us in on anything happening, even where they can come train with you right now like what's going on where you're at um where do they yeah i I teach i teach regular classes at the movement collective um the next workshop that i've got locked locked in will be on the central coast of australia um around about circus gym it's at gosford uh and i'm looking to try and lock in a couple in sydney so if if you guys have heard this and you you think that this might maybe something you'd want to do maybe reach out to your gym owners uh you can find me on instagram you can find me on most platforms just searching my name, Sean Wood. It's S-H-A-U-N. Um, and reach out to me. And I'm, I'm, I'm open to doing gym workshops anywhere, really. Um, to more people, to smaller people, I'm, I'm open to anything. I'm adaptable. I'm a parkour athlete. <laughs> so, yeah, if, if, if any of this appeals to you, then reach out to me. I'd love to hear from it. Awesome. I think that's it. We'll uh, we'll have to do another one in the future. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for your time. Thank you for having me, John. Sweet. Happy? I'm happy. I don't know how to stop that. It's logged Uh, out. Yeah, it should be. It should do. Thanks, man. That was awesome.